like there's a whole world of construction that I think we need to talk more about and tap into, you know, to help the next generation of leaders, but also, you know, shed some awareness on the rest of the world on, you know, the amazing stuff that we do. Because we're not just building buildings where, you know, you're shaping communities. When you build mm-hmm. a hospital, it's not just a structure. It's some place somebody goes to heal. Or if you build yeah. a church, it's some place somebody, you know, a group of people go to pray. It's like, this yeah. is a big deal. And it's everywhere around us. The, the house I'm sitting in, the roads you drive on, it's all part of the design and construction process. I'm geeking out now, Matt. Stop me, buddy. <laughs> hey, everyone. Welcome to the CM Mentors Podcast. Our goal is to cut your construction management learning curve in half. I threw that curve at you, Kyle. I, wasn't, I, I rewrote our headline. Um, I'm Matt Graves, and my co-host every, co-host every week is going to be Kyle Grandel. And this week's guest is Angelo Suntrees. What's up, Angelo? Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. Good to be here. Hope you're doing well. Yeah. So Angelo recently wrote the Human Side of Construction book. Um, it became an Amazon bestseller like in a day or two days. It was quick. Yeah, it was weird, man. Two days after it was published, um, managed to hit number one in three categories. I, it's up and down now. Every day new books are being published. But, uh, but yeah, it's been a pretty wild ride ever since. That's awesome, man. And so for people who don't know who you are, can you give us a little bit of a background of you? Sure, sure. Yeah, I'll try and uh, I'll try and keep it brief. But um, background is mechanical engineering. So I went to school here in uh, London, Ontario. I live in Toronto now, but uh, went to Western for mechanical engineering. And uh, towards the end of that four years, I was taking more HVAC courses. And, you know, naturally, I was going to come out and be the best HVAC engineer the world had ever seen. And then uh, when I graduated, it was early 2000s, we were coming out of a recession. And, um, you know, jobs weren't easy to come by. So I started looking in the consultant sphere to kind of pursue my dream at the time. And I wasn't really getting any bites. So basically, I was getting to a point where I was running out of money, and I just had to get a job to pay the bills. So I started applying everywhere, and I ended up at a construction company. Uh, It was mechanical electrical construction out in Halifax, Nova Scotia, which is a story for another time how I ended up there. But uh, but anyway, so I kind of fell into construction, to be honest with you. And I'm, I'm very glad I did because, you know, looking at uh, the consultant world, I love being on site. I love meeting people and solving problems, mm-hmm. you know, which is the collaboration, working with people and solving problems. Like to me, that's what construction is. So I'm very happy it ended up that way, although it was a it was a fluke. So. So yeah, I've been doing it for 17 years now in different facets. Like now I'm with the GC up in Canada, one of the biggest ones in Canada. And uh, But I've worked for a couple different sizes in the mechanical electrical sphere. And I've been in GC world for the last three years doing healthcare work. So so yeah, it's kind of high level. What do, you, what do you do for the GC? You're project manager? Or? Yeah, I'm essentially project manager for uh, MEP trades. So we just finished the hospital and... Uh, yeah, so between mechanical, electrical, and the ICAT, which is, you know, a whole world in and of itself, um, you know, it, it was upwards of, you know, $300 million, uh, so pretty big scopes. But, yeah, I manage a team of MEIT professionals. That's pretty cool. Do you guys um, uh, self-perform the, that work, too? The tagline of the book. Uh, no, no, we've recently, so I work with Ellis Don. We recently opened up, uh, they call it Healthcare and Life Sciences, uh, sector, which focuses on jobs that like, we're, it's still Ellis Dom, but they focus on uh, jobs with high scope with the MEIT. So I don't think we plan on, on self-performing just because it's, you know, highly complex and we have a lot of good trade partners, but there's a separate group that focuses mostly on those uh, jobs. I guess that was a long answer. The short answer is no. <laughs> what, what was the inspiration behind the book? Yeah, so that's uh, that's a good question. So, you know, like you, I've kind of been doing some content creation. I started back in August just of last year, and I'll kind of share, uh, you know, the story behind my first post because it, it does set up the story. So, like I mentioned, I've been working in healthcare, and one day we were we got we received notice that we achieved it was it's called tower interim completion, but essentially it's substantial completion for the new patient tower. And, uh, you know, so we had a bit of a celebration in the trailer and everybody was in a good mood. And then I was leaving the site and on my way to the parking lot, I kind of looked back and I, I saw this hospital that we just built. 
And this sounds super cheesy, but I was looking around and I saw like the houses around in the community and the people, you know, walking with strollers. And I thought, holy shit, like we just built a hospital. Like <laughs> these people are going to come here to visit family members. They're going to come here to have their babies. They're going to come here to uh, get better. And I just had one of those moments, which I have the odd time. Uh, where I just was super inspired. I, you know, we focus so much on building buildings and structures and getting projects done, meeting scopes and budgets and deadlines. And you kind of forget about the end product and the end user sometimes. So anyway, I took a picture of the hospital and I posted something on LinkedIn to that effect. Not as long, but, uh, and it got a lot of engagement. You know, a lot of people, there were uh, quite a few likes and a lot of people commenting. And I thought, you know what? I think there's a message here that people want to hear more about, which is then I started kind of calling it the human side of construction. Um, because when you look in the news, like even if you Google it right now, it's, you know, the news is usually, oh, you know, this job's over budget, this job's behind schedule. You'll see a politician cutting a ribbon, which is like, you know, just what people see in the news, but they don't <laughs> know the real story behind it, you know, yeah. and all the, the, the real wins. So anyway, fast forward started doing this content creation and started to gain momentum. And it kind of affirmed that, you know, people like this message. And I thought I was, I was thinking, you know what, like social media is cool. I was kind of new at it, but the second you stop posting, people forget about the message. They forget about you all together. And I thought there's gotta be, you know, what, what's a better way to make a bigger impact, like a longer form piece of content. And then, you know, a couple other instances happened, which, Maybe I'll share it another time. And then I ended up just write, <laughs> writing this book. So over the course of, I think it was three months, I just kind of really you know, gutted it out and put all my thoughts down on paper and refined it. And yeah, January 16th, the book came out. So roundabout way, I think that answers your question. I don't know. <laughs> no, that's cool, man. Um, that's interesting because, you know, it's true when you make posts, but if you disappear off LinkedIn or whatever, if you're on there trying to share your message, it you dry up real fast. Yeah. So without having something tangible that people can find later, it's, um, it's, it can be tough. I get it. Yeah. Well, even that, like, and, and people say, Oh, you know, you must've spent a lot of time, put a lot into it. I said, it took me 17 years to write it because that's my experience coming out in the writing. Right. Like I never aspired to write a book. I got 62 in high school English. So I wanted to send a copy to my old teacher just to show him that, Hey, you know what? I can, I can write, but no, I wouldn't do that because he was a good guy. But, uh, but yeah, so it, the book itself isn't going to solve any problems. Like what I was trying to do in, you know, in two ways was number one, improve the industry from within, you know, the, mm -hmm. the way people communicate, the way we work together. Cause I think there's a lot of waste that arises just from, you know, basic things that we could improve upon pretty quickly, like communication. Number one, like right. the amount of time and money spent on, you know, rework because of, you know, wrong information, misinformation, people not communicating, uh, doing work out of sequence stuff that could be, could have avoided just by, you know, a conversation. Um, so yeah, that, and number two is for people outside of construction to shed some light awareness and appreciation for the industry to understand the challenges and understand the good things about construction too. Cause there's a lot of good stuff that people don't know about. You know, you could drive to work every day and pass by a construction site and people see every day it gets a little bigger, they're pouring concrete and then it's enclosed. Right. And then one day they're walking in to, you know, go to their condo or go to their treatment or school, whatever, but they don't know the hours and hours and hours, like thousands of hours that went into it, men and women working hard. You know, blood, sweat, and tears through the permitting and the planning and the design and mm -hmm. the commissioning. I hate commissioning. Well, it's actually <laughs> one of the best parts of the industry, but it's always a challenge, right? Uh, so, yeah, it's to, to do that. And worst case scenario, even if nobody buys it, my kids think I'm awesome because I wrote a book. So, you know, it's a win either way. And I was talking to somebody the other day, and we were talking almost about the same thing, where it's like, you know, they talk about they go into a building, whether it be a hospital or a grocery store or, a, you know, whatever. And they sit there and they'll start looking at the building and just, it's kind of a curse of the industry. You start looking at stuff and I, if it, you know, any building with exposed ceilings, you know, exposed structure, when you see all the MEP stuff, I started looking at it and started just tracing it all out and stuff like that. I hate that. But yeah, but they were saying they, they sit there and they'll just go and start looking at it and just start wondering like, man, I wonder what conflict issues they had here. And I wonder how they worked it out. Now, you know, just especially in busy areas. Like I wonder how much, 
how hard that was to, yeah. to coordinate those sort of things. And it's just, you just, there's so much behind the story that, you know, you don't see, you know, especially yeah. if you're there, especially if you're not in the industry. Exactly. Yeah. And when you are in the industry, it's hard to turn it off. Right. Cause I'm the same way walking through a mall or something. I'm, I'm like this <laughs> and my wife's like, what the hell are you looking at? Like, uh, but yeah, out of sight, out of mind, I guess. But. So the tagline or the subtitle, I guess, for the book is how to ensure a successful, sustainable and profitable career as a contractor, project manager, estimator or sub superintendent. Yeah, it's a long one. That's quite a promise. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So again, you know, it, it just comes from experience and observations that I've made. Yeah. And just my thoughts on how to move the industry forward, because like it's in the intro to the book, but you look at the industry, at least like jobs I've been on, where every job's getting more and more complex, like especially on the IT side of things. Like obviously a hospital is kind of the extent you've got, uh, you know, a whack load of systems in there that integrate. But even in an office building or schools, like everything's smart, right? Everything's got internet of things and the lights. And uh, so that's kind of the future. So jobs are getting more complicated. Uh, schedules are getting tighter. Which mm -hmm. I don't know what it's like w with with you guys like down south, but um, you know we're finding that I don't know if the owners are being a little unrealistic, or maybe it's the scheduling teams on the con the constructor side who are making these promises. But you know schedules are getting tighter. Um, we're relying on technology more and more, and contracts are getting more onerous. Again, I don't know what it's like down with you guys, but the way things are getting here, it's kind of more one sided towards the owner. So there's a lot of, there's all these challenges. Plus you got the labor shortage where, you know, 30 or 40% of the good workforce is retiring. So I think if we keep going down the path we're going, we're in trouble. And there's, you know, we've got all those problems, but as humans, like the basic foundation, human to human connection, it seems like things are getting further and further apart. So, you know, it's no secret. There's nothing, no secret sauce in the book that's going to blow anybody's mind. It's just a reminder that at the end of the day, we're people working together with the common goal to get things done. So why we've built up these silos and these walls and everybody's like, no, that's not my scope. I'm not worried about it. Mm -hmm. That doesn't help anybody. Uh, it helps you in the short term. It might help you meet your, your budget or your schedule on that job. But you know, I, myself, I've got 20, 25 years left in my career. I'm not thinking about the hospital I'm building now. I'm thinking about the next 10. You know what I mean? It's something I'm sure it's, in Toronto as well, but you know, it's a, the industry is such a small industry. You run into the same people on every project or every other project. You're seeing the same people every day. So if you burn a bridge here, it's going to, you're going to burn a bridge for a lifetime. Mm -hmm. but, yeah, no, for sure. It's, and that's another thing I kind of mentioned is like what we're seeing more or what I've seen is people focusing on like short-term financial gains, mm -hmm. but which is fine, but you, you can't sacrifice the longer term big picture you know what I mean, of an organization or your own career. Because if you make a lot of money on one job, that's great. But like you said, if you're working with the same subs or vendors on the next job, like how likely are they going to be to you know, have your back if you screwed them on the last one? You know what I mean? Of course. We got a, it kind of goes in with what we got. We got one uh, guest or audience question. It says, what are you doing to kick off the book within the industry? And kind of with the theme of the podcast, they say it's a great book for college students. Get them while they're young. Mm -hmm. So what are you doing to get that kind of rolling in the industry? Especially maybe, are you giving to your kind of advertising it for sort of the next generation? Yeah, so right now it was just kind of uh, the original sales were boosted, I just think, by my LinkedIn. I, I did some build up there. I generated a bit of buzz, and I have some people who are really interested. It's funny seeing, like, the weirdest moment, uh, I had was the first time somebody posted a picture of themselves with the book on LinkedIn. <laughs> and like, this is a guy, again, I'd never met. Uh, he, he works in the area in Toronto. So we've been meaning to get together, but again, you know, he just really likes the content, really likes the message. Mm -hmm. And he said, as soon as I got home, I made my wife take a picture of me with, <laughs> with the book. So other than LinkedIn, yeah, I, I haven't really done much. Um, uh, I've sent it to some organizations like uh, MCAA and NECA. I got a suggestion that from my old boss that, you know, people would be into that. Uh, but definitely I could see this being incorporated into some sort of, uh, you know, curriculum, if not the book, like the idea, right? right. Cause that's another thing to go off on another tangent. <clears throat> like the training that I received through high school and, uh, and taking mechanical engineering 
two things. One, nobody ever mentioned that construction was a viable career path. Like not once. I never looked down on construction like you. That's dirty. I don't want to do it. It was just, I never, it was never presented to me as something you could make money at and have a, you know, successful career at. So that's number one. Number two, it's all about technical skills, right? Like quantifiable things, whether it's, you know, engineering or uh, structural engineering, you do your moment diagrams or, uh, you know, when you get into being a project manager, it's about risk management and cost management and productivity and stuff. It's all numbers. But like, what do we do on a daily basis? You talk to people, you interact with people. So where, where is that, you know, where's that training? So I think that element is really missing. Maybe it's, maybe it's different in school these days. I don't know. I haven't checked in in a while, but, uh, um, but I think that element is really, you know, missing how to have difficult conversations, uh, you know, how to resolve mm-hmm. conflict. That's a huge one. Every day we deal with conflict, right? So. I thought that was Kyle's question. I think his dog's going crazy. Nope. Um, <laughs> are you seeing, uh, are you seeing, is, is it a generational shift? It feels like the industry's changing where, and I guess the old grumpy superintendent screaming and yelling, like that guy's on the way out, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it feels like there's a generational shift, especially as kind of the millennials start taking more leadership positions within companies. Mm-hmm. Um, are you seeing that too? Big time, big time. Yes. Yeah. So ever, ever since I started working, uh, 17 years ago, I, I always noticed that every company I worked and I've worked at companies big and small, right? Like uh, I used to work for black and McDonald and they were, they're probably close to 4,000 employees now. Elliston's over 5,000. And in between that, I worked for Bearing Mechanical up here, and they had eight people. So, you know, I've seen, but even in, in those different, uh, uh, you know, settings, there was always like an older contingency, like the, the guys you're talking about who, you know, usually more often than not came up through the trade. You know, they didn't have an engineering or architectural background, mm-hmm. came up through the trade as a carpenter, foreman, worked their way up to super, uh, you know, eventually came to the office. Now they're vice presidents, whatever. So there was always that kind of close to retirement boomers generation. Then there were always a few guys in between kind of middle management, but there was always this, you know, other large contingent at like the 40 years and younger, uh, Mark. And there was like this 20 year gap between the two. I don't know why, maybe it's just, that's how, you know, it worked out with the boomers and people stopped having babies so frequently, (laughs) but, but, uh, but yeah, so I think, you know, getting back to your question, there's a huge generational shift now, and it's not just generational who it's, it's about the whole inclusion and diversity thing. So we're throwing a bunch of people from different backgrounds, different demographics in the same room and hoping that everybody works and communicates effectively together, but it's not going to happen, buddy, because especially the younger generation, like our age, probably a little younger than our age, Gen Z or I don't even keep track of this stuff, the, you know, twenties, thirties, they have different, uh, outlook on life. They have different motivations, different aspirations, mm-hmm. you know, work-life balance that didn't exist five, 10 years ago. Uh, so, so yeah, I think that's a, it's a big challenge. Yes. Yeah, so Kyle. Yeah. Um, and so Angela, I just started reading your book and, and I love it so far, by the way, I just got to say that of course. And then, um, I actually want to awesome. jump ahead a little bit and ask you a question about a little bit later on in the book. One of your chapters is, uh, dealing with adversity and it's kind of talking about job loss, unemployment type things. And I thought it'd be cool to talk about that today yeah. just because we have this, you know, this, this, this glooming fear of the recession coming. And just in case anybody actually experiences that, mm-hmm. you know, what, what would you give them for just a brief message or kind of a summary of that? Yeah. So that's a, uh, that's a tough one. There's no, uh, there's no bones about it. And, you know, I think it happens to most people. Like it happened to me, uh, not too long ago and, you know, having gone through it and it still bothers me and it's still, to be honest with you, it's hard to talk about, but it's an important thing because a lot of people are dealing with it now. Like more in the tech world, you see a lot of layoffs and, uh, you know, and that's especially bad because if every tech company is laying off, if you're a tech employee, like what the hell are you going to do? At least, uh, you know, when COVID came around and I was on the list of numbers that, that had to go, there was, you know, construction was still a booming industry, right? And it still is. So I think, you know, for anybody who 
is listening and might be dealing with that or will have to deal with that, who works in construction, like, I don't know what it's like in your area, at least around here in Ontario, there's tons of work coming up for like the next 10 years. So, um, you know, number one, there's always something else out there for you. Uh, number two is, you know, it wasn't necessarily you. It might've just been the environment you're in. A lot of things is like a culture fit, right? Too. Like you could be the best employee ever with the best technical skills. If you don't mesh with the manager or, you know, you have a run in with a couple people, you know, for speaking your mind or whatever, and it's not, your opinions aren't shared, then, then it might be time to go. And that's not, again, it's not necessarily a reflection of you as an employer, you as a person. Um, so yeah, that's probably the biggest thing is not to take it personally. Cause at the end of the day, it is business and it's easy to say that. And it's hard to actually believe it if you've been in that position, but you know, it just takes time to get over it and yeah, do some introspection and find something new. Well, and that's, that's a really good perspective, Angelo. And I appreciate that from, you know, from my standpoint as a business owner is that, you know, we make a lot of decisions that uh, really nobody wants to let, let a good employee go. Nobody does. I mean, that's um, pretty much yeah. like the worst yeah. thing you have to do as an owner, as a manager. And so like you're saying, a lot of the time that could just be that, um, you know, the timing's not right. Um, projects aren't coming in like they were supposed to. Maybe the owners aren't spending money the same way they used to. So it just, that, that's a really good point. I hope that our, mm -hmm. our, our listeners really take that to heart. Yeah. Especially these days too, like everybody's feeling the financial, uh, crunch, right. Um, and you know, you talk to anybody in banking or in the news, there's a big recession coming. So I think, you know, businesses operate to make money. And I think people need to understand that. And, you know, I don't think you're necessarily going to take a loss to keep somebody employed. So anyway, it is, it is difficult. And I've been in the position of, you know, hiring and firing people and it's not, it's definitely not easy. So, you know, I feel for anybody going through that. You know, I think kind of on tune with your book and stuff, um, Chris Gutkeys, he's the president of Island Elevator. I don't know if you followed him on LinkedIn or not, but we kind of became friends and we've chatted a couple of times and he told me the story and I don't think I'm talking out of turn because I actually heard him tell it on the, uh, another podcast, but essentially during COVID, uh, they had, you know, they were in New York and New York was getting hit hard. And so, you know, they couldn't hardly even work because half their workforce was out. Mm -hmm. So when the vaccine came out, he, he basically had, he had a man, he had a mandate for company wide. He said it wasn't an easy solution, but he was doing it basically for his people, mm -hmm. looking after his people first and foremost. And he, he basically got on a, a Zoom call with them, kind of did this. And, you know, just this really kind of about taking care of your people and all those sort of things. But he basically said, look, we're going to have to mandate the vaccine. We can't keep having half a workforce because people keep getting sick or all these sort of things. And he goes, but if you don't choose to take the vaccine, I totally get it. I will do everything in my power with, within my contacts because, you know, that's a small industry, right? Mm -hmm. With my contacts and make sure you land somewhere. I'll get you another job somewhere else. I hate to see you go, but I'll take care of you. Mm -hmm. And so when he told me that story, I was like, I get it. Like, it's a, such a tough decision to make. And you know, I can see people, you know, having to, having to go lay people off and those sort of things. And if you take that extra step and can basically say, I'm going to, no matter what, I'm, you're going to land on your feet. I'm going to make sure you're okay. Even if you're not with me, that really, really takes care. You know, what I'm trying to say, it just really shows your character. I guess. Yeah. Yeah, no. And that's kind of what, what the book touches on and some people uh, have accused me of being a little too light and fluffy and they, they're probably, they're probably right. But I think before you can have any type of relationship, whether it's like, you know, business or romantic or anything, like you need to have a basic connection as a human, right? Mm -hmm. Like you need to establish some key things like trust, uh, respect and mutual care. Cause that like a relationship is about giving and taking, right? So, yeah, without establishing that personal connection, you're just getting a resource to do a job and they're not going to go out of their way to help you out. Like, you know, I wouldn't. So, so yeah, just establishing that, that human connection, like you said, now it is difficult because there's a point that you have to find and it's different with everybody because you can't be everybody's best friend, right? Cause they'd always want to chat, nothing would get done and they take things personally, whatever. So mm -hmm. I find that difficult. So I don't know, maybe, uh, like you guys seem like you're kind of on the same wavelength as me. Can you share a time where maybe, or, you know, your thoughts on that? Like, is there a line, is there a point that you, you know, 
have crossed or have somebody else has tried to cross with you where they, you know, go too far with their personal life, interfering with work stuff? Mm. Go for it, Kyle. Turn All right, it. I'll take it. So, so for me, um, what I like to say when I come in on projects is that I, I'm here to make everybody successful. And that's kind of the way I try to approach it. I try to get the trust that way. I try to help everybody understand that, I mean, as the owner's rep, I'm not always liked. That's just that's just the nature of my job. You know, sometimes the GCs mm-hmm. see me as somebody who's in their way, kind of in their, you know, interfering with their relationship with the owner. But that's not the job at all. That's not at all what we're trying to do. We're trying to be in there. Mm-hmm. We're trying to help fill any gaps that are present on the team. So the biggest thing for me is just, you know, basically proving myself, which I pretty much have to do every project. But starting over again, prove that we're there to make everybody successful. How can I help you? be successful because without it, none of us are actually going to, going to have a successful project together. And then we all end up with damaged relationships. We end up with things not looking good. So really it's just trying to, for me, prove it, you know, put the actions, put the words into action and really just, uh, you know, mm-hmm. gain that trust that way. That's the, that's the high level answer. That I no, no, that's a, that's a great, no, 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 that's a great point. And like, that's, you know, I, I feel the same way. Like when I started my new position, being being with a GC, but in the M&E group within a GC, that's one of the first things I did. So the trades that I was working with, the mechanical and electrical partners, I went to them separately within the first week I was there. And I said, look, I know because I've been on jobs and when an M&E guy from a GC comes on, they can be a pain in the ass. But I'm, I'm here to make your job easier because that makes my life easier if your job's easier. Mm-hmm. So clarifying expectations from up front is huge. Because if you if you come into a situation with a certain expectation or a certain conception and it's not met, you're automatically going to be frustrated or upset. And a lot of people carry around baggage from past jobs where they might have had a bad run-in with an owner's rep. They're like, oh, mm-hmm. it's just another one of these assholes is going to make my life hell. So even having that conversation, showing that you care and put the effort in, I think would go huge. Man, that like, you find that works well for you in those yeah, situations? I- I do, because I even go a step further, and I say, if you if you want to yell and scream at me, you can, but we'll do it behind a closed door. You know, it's a conversation that we'll have one-on-one. Yeah. We're not going to have it in front of the owner. We're not going to have it in front of my client or yours, but we'll have it one-on-one, because that's just how, that's professional courtesy. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Matt, how about you? I think the same. I think, yeah, and no, I was just, I think the same. I think if... Um... You know, some projects are easy, some projects are more difficult, but I just think, you know, the more difficult ones, when they really, if you can really try to make that bond, or at least they know that, I mean, you have to do your job, right? Sometimes your job isn't easy. Sometimes you got to call them out on stuff that's happening. But if, if you can show them that you're trying to be, you know, trying to help them through the situation, um, that can go a long ways just in kind of, even if you're never, never going to be a great relationship there, it can kind of at least mm-hmm. help. Help them say, okay, I disagree, but okay, let's figure out a way to get through this together. Yeah. No, and it, it comes back to that, you know, you're not going to be everybody's best friend, but how can you be amicable? Because there's been times where I've been on site and say there's an, uh, you know, a coordination issue, and one guy says, oh, I was there first. Another guy says, oh, no, I was there. I'm supposed to be there. And then they just kind of beat their chest and yell at each other and then walk away. And But the problem doesn't get solved. So, you know, they don't have to kiss and make up, but we got to figure out the problem. Like, we got to solve the problem, right? Yeah. So. so much of it, man, it's funny to see you say that, but I've got five-year-old twin boys, and I feel like every day is that sort of thing. Like, that's mine. That's mine. Yeah. I was there. It's mine. I yeah. had it. No, I had it first. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. so I feel like, man, I feel like I'm getting a, a crash course in training at home every day. Yeah. It is true, though, how applicable it is. Like, I found going through that with Mike, because your kids are just all emotions, right? They don't have any filter. And uh, I think as you grow up, like you're still a human, so you still have these emotions and these baggage that you're carrying around with. You just find a way to filter it better. Some people aren't good at filtering it at all, and you can see it. You know, guys that blow up on site and uh, you know can't can't solve conflict. But but that's kind of where I was getting at with the whole personal aspect because you know you can't flip a switch when you come into the office and forget about what's going on at home. You know, if mm-hmm. your dog's sick or your parents are in the hospital or your wife's about to leave you, like you carry that shit to work. And uh, can I swear on here? I, do I don't it care. Anyways. Okay. I don't care. <laughs> okay. You, you, bring, you bring that to work. I make and, the rules and I don't care. So okay, good. Good stuff. So you bring it to work and, you know, to not acknowledge that 
everybody has their own issues and brings them to work is doing an injustice to the people that work for you and the people you work with. Now, I'm not saying everybody's a snowflake and you got to coddle people and like give them hugs and rub their backs. But if they're not, you know, we focus so much on physical safety, right? Like training obviously is important to, uh, you know, correctly and safely operate a piece of machinery. You got to mm-hmm. have PPE to be safe. But like what emphasis do we put on mental mental health and safety mm-hmm. like if somebody's mm-hmm. in, in the middle of a crisis because they're dealing with issues or they're you know thinking of ending their life or something like they're not going to be a safe worker on site because their mind's in a million different places so you know i think we need to f- better equip people with tools to deal with that and recognize it, especially as supervisors or managers when somebody you know might not be in the best condition that they could be in and take them aside and say hey man what's going on like do you need some time off or you know, instead of just oh, suck it up and power through, you know, it'll be yeah. fine. Mm-hmm. Most times it is, but sometimes it doesn't get better. Yeah. No, it doesn't. And having those, you know, a lot of times those guys, they may be going through hell in their personal life. And the only thing outside of the personal life is work. Mm-hmm. And so they're coming to work and it's on their mind and they're just getting the suck it up. Let's go attitudes. Like they don't have anybody to talk to. Yeah. And so, you know, just having, just being able to say, Hey man, you all right. Like, mm-hmm. what's going on and just being mm-hmm. kind of a, a shoulder to lean on or you know an ear I, I, I think that can go a long ways yeah yeah and going back to Kyle your question on like dealing with unemployment and job loss and kind of overall theme of the book is like you know developing a network because when you you know when you connect with people you're going to naturally develop a network people are going to remember you and, and, and whatnot and be there for you and you know in situations like that whether you're having a rough time and uh you don't have anybody to reach out to. It's sometimes the most random people, right? Like I've had calls from old friends who said, oh yeah, you know, I don't know why I'm calling you, but I'm dealing with this and I'm more than happy to talk talk to them, even though I hadn't seen them in, you know, 10 years or something. And same thing like Matt, you, you mentioned uh, your friend about doing everything in their power through their personal contacts to help people. Like that's huge, man. Mm-hmm. Having a network to be able to lean on for various reasons. And not only that, like I don't, I don't build connections to use people because I know it's a two-way street, right? Like it goes both ways. So, so you know, a lot of times kind of with the theme of, you know, kind of the next generation of construction managers, um, you know, a lot of times people get the hard skills, right? They'll teach them how to estimate. They'll teach them how to build, building, and teach them, the, you know, the building sciences of how the whole thing comes together. Mm-hmm. I think some of the contractors are starting to do a little bit of leadership training, um, probably not many especially not talking about this human side stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, what, in your opinion, what are some actionable steps somebody kind of in that next generation kind of entry mid-level type person can kind of do on their own if there's not, you know, maybe if their company's not leading them on a leadership type yeah. training. Yeah. A lot of this stuff is, it comes naturally to some people, but most it, it takes uh, some thought too, right? But it's just about like take networking, for example. I think networking is probably like the most important thing you can do for your career. And it's not just to, you know, make friends at another company so they hire you for more money. Like that's mm-hmm. not what it's about. It's just about, you know, broadening uh, your knowledge base too because with it, something that's super technical like construction, there, you, there's no way you could ever know no. everything. E- even like as a GC or a construction manager, you need to know a lot about different trades, but you can never know everything. Even if you're in a specific trade, you're never going to know everything because there's just su- such a vast amount of information. So it's you know not about knowing everything. It's knowing who to go to to get the right answer, and that's where your network uh, really comes in handy. So, um, but to get back, like you know, peel down a layer, like how do you build that network effectively? Uh, I think the best way, honestly, is just through like sporadic, infrequent run-ins with people. Like you can go to a networking event or you go to a bar or like a convention center, but how much quality time do you actually get with anybody there? You might get a lot of business cards and shake a lot of hands yeah. and you might talk to somebody for five minutes because there's a lineup of people waiting to talk to them. Like that's not networking. It's good to show your face and whatever, make an appearance, but the best connections I find are just through... The best one is solving problems, I think. That's really strengthens bonds, and you kind of touched on it. 
like, cause anybody can get along when things are going good, but when they're going mm-hmm. bad, like that's when your relationships are really important. That's where the best relationships I've made at work have been forged or on tough projects right. where you're spending time with people. And yeah. People come and go. Some people say, screw this. I don't want to deal with this. And they leave. And then you get a new guy come in and it takes you a month to explain all the background. But, uh, but yeah, so sorry, I'm getting, I'm, I went a little off topic there, but just getting to know people. Like if you're working with the same people every day on site or in an office, like just chat with them, say, how's, you know, how are things going? How was your weekend? They might say, Oh, it was good. You know, I took my kid to hockey. They're like, Oh, I play hockey. Uh, my son plays hockey. Do you, you know, what team do you like? Oh, I like the Leafs. Oh, I hate the Leafs, but I like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then you bond over your love of hockey. Like if you ask people enough questions, you're going to have something in common with them. And right. if you ask enough questions and you both get bored, then Hey, that relationship wasn't meant to be, but, that's the best way I find is to really connect at a personal level. And I still do it like with people, I, like I've been on this project two and a half years and still, you know, when I call people, uh, cause there's an issue where I, you know, have a question, I'll say, Oh, how's it going today? Did you have a good day? What'd you do on the weekend? And it's 30 seconds and it breaks the ice. Cause if they see the phone, it's like, Oh, Angelo, he's just going to give me a hard time about something. They're not going to answer or they're not going to give you a straight answer if they do answer. You know what I mean? So, so yeah, just I don't know if I'm making sense. Did that cover your question there? Yeah, I think it did. And like you were talking about too. So if like if I talk to you on Thursday or Friday and say, Hey, what are you doing this weekend? You go, Oh, you know, I got a my son's got a hockey game or a baseball game and then, you know, you end up talking to him on Tuesday and like, Hey, how was your week? How's how'd the baseball game go? You know, they're like, Holy yeah. crap, man, you remember that shit. That's exactly. Awesome. <laughs> exactly. And they're gonna remember you as somebody that cares, not just somebody who's calling to give them shit or get information from them. So, you know, it helps build that connection. Well, and, and I just want to add uh, in here that um, how important it is that your, your piece about when projects start to go wrong and having those relationships established, because I swear every project that I work on gets tough at some point, and you really got to build those relationships because when the, when the chips fall and people are starting to look at, all right, you know, what, what's going to happen to me? You know, how, how do I look in this project? That's where having those solid relationships will really yeah. get you through it. It'll get you through it as a good team, too. So I just hope that anybody that's listening that's, um, that's yeah. just starting out in their career really takes that that part to heart yeah yeah i think it's two two parts there and kyle thanks because you you hit another light bulb for me but it's so to sum it up in two things it's building relationships like people to people you know with the expectation that it's two ways because i think everybody you meet like there's something you can give them or a value and there's something that you can get from them right so it's not you know, you might be able to give more than you can get, but there's always that two-way thing. So don't overlook even seemingly, you know, uh, uh, irrelevant connections because there's no yeah. such thing as a bad connection. Mm-hmm. Number two is be the person that solves problems. Like I can think of, you know, a lot of people that I've worked with when Kyle, like you said, the chips fall and you look around and there's nobody, nobody around. <laughs> Right. Cause, uh, people don't <laughs> like conflict. It's uncomfortable. And a lot of times they don't want to deal with it unless they absolutely have to. There's been times in my career where I don't know, maybe it's something wrong with my brain, but I always sign up for stuff that nobody else wants to do. Like if I'm in a meeting and, and somebody says, Oh, you know, this needs to get done. And then there's silence. I say, okay, screw it. I'll do it. Like, and you know, you get that reputation as a person who brings solutions, not just adds to the problem. And that, that really helps you in your, your career. Mm -hmm. A couple of chapters in the book, I haven't had a chance to read the book yet, but a couple of your chapters are a couple that kind of stuck out to me. So one says your career arsenal, education versus experience, and how to leverage everything you have. Mm -hmm. That's like, what's your, can you give us a little teaser of what that chapter's about? Sure. Sure. That's a good one. This is actually talking about LinkedIn. This is one of my, this is one of my, uh, biggest posts for, you know, some weird reason. I, I, I just thought it was just going to be, you know, another Tuesday post, but, uh, there's a uh, talk about divides. Like we talked about generational. I think part of that generational differences now is the whole education versus experience thing, mm-hmm. because you're seeing a lot of younger people like myself included coming out with a, you know, college or university degree. And not to say that the older generation is not educated or they're less smart. Like that's not, at all, but it's just more common for our generation to have gone to uh, post-secondary school. And I think that's just a function of our parents wanting better for us than they had. And lo and behold, we end up in construction anyways, but that's besides the point. So, uh, 
part of that is understanding the difference between education and experience and one does not equal the other. So you can come out, like I came out with an engineering degree and, uh, you know, I went to work at a construction company and I thought I kind of knew everything, right? Cause that's what they teach you as part of your curriculum, <laughs> you know, but you knew nothing. <laughs> I knew nothing. And that's where real learning starts. When you acknowledge, you know, nothing. I don't know if you want to do a show on Greek philosophy, but I think it was Plato or something that said, one thing I know for certain is I know nothing for certain. But anyway, so I, I came in with an engineering degree after being brainwashed to think I was going to come out making a hundred thousand a year, uh, you know, telling people what to do. And I ended up, uh, with a service technician, a refrigeration guy riding around in a truck for two weeks, going to service calls. And I thought, what the hell am I doing here, man? Like I'm an engineer, but it taught me a good lesson because I think the second or third day we went to a service call and, uh, we walked into a mechanical room and he was being a bit of a dick, but he goes, he points at something. He goes, what's that Mr. Engineer? I said, I have no idea. And he goes, that's a chiller. And I said, holy shit. And it like instantly <laughs> like flashed in my head. I, I could see that the textbook and yeah. a picture of a chiller and the pipe going in with the heat, uh, the flow and the temperature. And I learned the calculations, but now that I actually saw it, I could see the pumps and the valves and the piping and everything and the, the controls. And it really clicked mm -hmm. in my head. And it was that moment where I thought like, why don't we learn more about this stuff? Like, it's great to have the theory behind it, but the rubber meets the road where you apply it. And that it's the same for any knowledge, whether it's college or university or you read a book, like you can have all the information in the world. If you don't know how to use it and make it practical and make the world a better place, it's, it's uh, useless. So sorry, all my answers are long, buddy. I'm sorry. But part of, part of that chapter is the divide between education and experience and, and both sides, the educated side being the younger generation and the more experienced side being the older generation, acknowledging that, there's value in both and we can all learn from each other. So, and that's part of like, you know, everybody has their area of expertise or zone of genius, whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. It's important to know what's within that, but it's equally important to know where that ends and where it interacts with other people. So I think as you start growing too, you start realizing that maybe your expertise isn't where you think it is. <laughs> you yeah. Know, as mm -hmm. you start you know, you start experimenting and stuff like that. And as you especially start taking on new responsibilities, you realize like, just kind of like in your experience of like, you're an engineer, but you know what a chiller was. But yeah. You didn't know what it was in the wild. Yeah. Uh, I remember coming out of school. I had a, you know, civil engineering degree with construction management background. And they said, okay, put together, a, you put together a submittal for me. I know what the hell that was. Yeah. And can you write this RFI? An RF what? Like a, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, just completely clueless. Yeah. No. And that's the, and again, like, I use the term brainwash. Maybe that was a little bit too far, but they don't, they don't teach you, at least the program I took, they don't teach you about like the, the real world and what to expect mm -hmm. when you get out there. You're equipped with all this information. You're like, I'm going to use this to go solve a big problem. It was actually put best in one of my, in the last, in our fourth year, we had to take a business course, which we all thought was kind of weird because we were in engineering. <laughs> But the, the prof in the beginning was like, this is the most important course you're going to take. And we're all like, looking, like, what the hell is this guy talking about? And he said, when your first day of work, nobody's going to ask you to solve a triple integral. Because nobody's going to come to you and say, here, calculate the heat loss through this infinite sphere. Like, it's all about like real world practical stuff. But that's all we learned about, man. Mm -hmm. So anyway, I like sharing that story. That's fine. Uh, another chapter that caught my eye was, uh, where'd it go? Oh, smashing limiting beliefs. Failure is mm -hmm. not the end and mistakes make you better. Mm -hmm. I think it's like, uh, we kind of touched on it, uh, there about, you know, not, it's, it's important to know what you don't know, right. And be open to your area of genius changing. And the only way you learn that is through, you know, experimentation and trying things and failing. A lot of people are afraid of failing. They're afraid of change. They're afraid of failing. They're afraid of discomfort. But that's what mm -hmm. life's all about, man. That, that's how you grow and change. So, you know, a lot of roles I've taken on in my life and some, you know, personal ventures, I had no idea what the hell I was doing, but I said, screw it. I'm going to do it anyways. And sometimes you fail and it hurts and you might look stupid, but I think there's lessons that you can take away from all that stuff. So that chapter is really about, you know, number one, I think we're all, again, I'm, this is pretty light and fluffy, but I think we're all more capable than we think we are. You know what I mean? Like yeah. we're all, we all hold our cards back a little bit for fear of being vulnerable, being mm -hmm. exposed, being seen as weak or being seen as an idiot. 
And I think, you know, that's part of one of the issues in construction is the, the culture that's built up over time. It hasn't been very accommodating for mistakes. Like, you know, a lot of people are afraid to say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing or make the wrong decision because they're going to lose their job or get made fun of or do whatever. So, you know, I think that's one way that we can kind of help improve the industry is making it a little bit of a safer space to, you know, make mistakes, especially younger people. Have them try, you know. Yeah, especially when you're young, you're, if you make a mistake, it's not nearly as painful either, right? You may not have a mm-hmm. wife, you may not have family, you may not have kids, you know, it's, it's make a mistake. Well, just pick yourself back up and keep going. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when I started this newsletter, that was kind of a thing, you know, like why, who am I and why does anybody care? Like, mm-hmm. I'm going to make a complete ass of myself. Like, I'm going to write this thing and no one's going to subscribe to it. Everybody's going to think, what the hell is this guy doing? Mm-hmm. Um, but I, my thought was like, man, if I start doing it and if it helps one person, two people and I make an ass of myself, then it's worth it. <laughs> like, yeah. I no, no, totally. My... And now how many subscribers are you up to? You're doing very well, aren't you? Uh, just under 600. So yeah, man. Yeah. 600 people think I live, at least I'm not a complete ass. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, that's pretty good because not even like, you know, people can follow you on LinkedIn or Instagram or whatever and just scroll right past your stuff. But they, they made a conscious decision to sign up because they liked your stuff. So yeah. kudos to you. But yeah, it is tough. It is tough putting yourself out there, man. And But that's the good thing about, you know, I thought the internet was mostly a bad place before I started this social media stuff, but there's a lot of good people out there. And if you just put yourself out there, I found, especially on LinkedIn, it's pretty professional. Like nobody's ever chirped me on there and I've been surprised, knock on wood, but nobody's ever given me a hard time yet. And I find you put your stuff out there and the people who are into it will, you know, follow and engage and the people who aren't, they'll just, you know, keep walking by. Mm -hmm. So that's where the magic happens. So Kyle, when you start your own business, I mean, you're really putting yourself out there. What you, I mean, what's your experience with that? Well, um, there's a lot. <laughs> there's a lot to it. There's a, and, and the biggest thing I would say is goes along with what Angelo was saying about not being afraid to do it, having an open mind and just a, kind of uh, more or less accepting that you're going to have to learn the hard way in a lot of stuff, and you, but you just got to do it. And that, that's probably the best the best thing I can describe it as is that you know, there's a lot of challenges, there's a lot of good things, and it's just something that I basically just accept that I don't know everything, and I'm never going to, but that's fine. I'm going to figure it out. A new challenge comes up, I'm going to try to solve it, and, mm-hmm. and at the end of the day, if I end up failing, then then at least I give it, you know, give it my best shot, and I'll learn from it. So that's kind of the best way I could tie all mm-hmm. this together, I think. I think, too, you, may not, you don't have to know everything, but you can know who knows it or know how to find it. Right. Yeah. yeah. Like you don't have to know all the legal stuff, but as long as you have a good attorney in your side, right, they can help you navigate all that stuff. Like you don't have to know all the accounting and all the tax stuff. As long as you're a good CPA, they can help you navigate those things. And I think it goes, I mean, I, I made a joke with uh, Benji on LinkedIn, the door dork, a lot of times of like, I hate doors. I'll be honest, like doors suck. Like, mm-hmm. There's so much to them. I'm never going to like them. And, but always having somebody on your team that understands the doors and likes the doors and knows all the widgets and pieces and parts to make the whole thing work and be legal and by code, you know, like you just got to have those people around you. You threw me off there when you said doors, cause we had a hell of a time at the hospital <laughs> just because like we're going on a bit of a tangent here, but we should do a podcast on doors actually. Cause I think they're <laughs> underrated. Like usually I go into a building and you swipe the automatic door opener or you swipe your card and it opens, and you're like, okay, that's I'm just going in the bill. You know what had to happen for that door to open? <laughs> oh, I can like, tell you. I've got a lot of experience, and uh, I hate it. <laughs> like there's five, six, seven like, in a hospital, too. We had patient wandering that would lock doors. We had, uh, yeah, card act. Like there were seven different, I'm being a little dramatic there. There were five different contractors that had to had their finger in the pie to make this door work. But, yeah. but uh, sorry, getting back to your point, Matt. And the fact it works is magic. It is magic. And then no, people say, how did you make it work? They say, I have no idea. Because every door is a little bit different. But uh, it gets done. But yeah, to your point, and I think most people that I've come across are very reasonable in that they'll give you a chance. If you're sitting in a meeting, and it's tough, especially when you first start a job, or Kyle, when you first start a job with a new client, it's probably when you're sitting in a meeting and they ask you something you don't know, you feel a little bit stupid and you're like, this guy's going to fire me. But most people I've found, if you say, you know what, I'm not sure, but I'll get back to you by the end of the day or I'll get back to you tomorrow. If you follow up and get back to them, that just builds the 
relationship and it builds, I think it makes it stronger than if you knew the question in the first place. Cause they're like, this guy, you know, he knows, you know, he's got connections. He can figure this out and he'll probably figure out other problems we're going to have. So mm-hmm. that's a really good point. I'm going to get in a couple guest questions, audience questions. So if anybody, I'm gonna, there's a couple here in the chat box. If you want any more, you can put them in the chat box or feel free to call in too. Um, we'll give that feature a roll. So Heidi asks, hey, what's up, Heidi? She asks, do you find that having a lot more females in the industry, we see more empathy? I think, uh, yes. I think naturally females are, are more empathetic and it is rubbing off on I think I think the world is just trending more in that direction too, but I think it's probably driven uh, largely in part by increased female population for sure, and uh, I think that's the number one connection to or number one quality to connection is being able to empathize with somebody. And a lot of people don't necessarily understand what it means. Like it took me a while to figure it out. Like you don't have to feel exactly what the other person's feeling. Sometimes it's just it's taking a second to acknowledge that. You know, if you're having an argument with somebody or a disagreement, just understanding where they're coming from, like, instead of just, you know, shouting at each other, being thinking like, okay, well, this guy has a boss to report to, and they're probably on their ass, and they're trying to save money or do whatever. So just taking a minute to, you know, appreciate what uh, what the other side's going through is, is huge. But, but yeah, I think, you know, not solely, but a large part of it is the increased uh, female population for sure. Yeah, I agree. I think, you know, I think diversity, I mean, everyone says it, right? But I think, I do think, truly think diversity is a kind of unlock to the industry. Just there's different perspectives, different, you know, I mean, men and women are biologically different in the, like the way the brains think and those mm-hmm. things. And they can attack problems in a different way. And having, you know, kind of that yin and yang is, I think it's, I think it's real valuable. Mm-hmm. So let's stay on that for a minute. If we have, we've got nine minutes here and we could probably talk for an hour on this. But what do you think? Because I think diversity and inclusion is huge, and I think mm-hmm. it's like an important part of the future. What do you think are the main challenges, if you can think of one or two, uh, to, you know, integrating all these different types of people together? You want to take it first, Kyle, or I, I can? I have my ideas. I want to hear you guys first. Matt, you go first. I mean, I, I, I think, yeah, I mean, anytime you get different different types of people together, um, it's going to cause friction. And I say different types. It could be genders, could be religions, could be cultures. It could be anything, right? Nationalities like Americans and Canadians, we're going to fight over what sport's best, I, I promise you. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to create friction. But that friction isn't always bad if you come at it in the right way. Um, a lot of times, you know, it's there's the book, uh, I think it's Patrick Lencioni wrote, The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. And being able to have that conflict and have that trusting conflict. And so is one of the, the base layers of that. And so the ability that like maybe me and Angelo, me and Angelo and Kyle all have different opinions on a, on a topic. But the fact that we can have a civil conversation around that and actually kind of work out the differences and, and come and maybe my ideas half cooked and it, half of it's stupid, but Angelo, your ha- idea is another half cooked, but we put those two pieces together and it becomes a good idea. And so I think having, I don't think I really answered your question, but I do think one of the struggles is that kind of that friction that will be caused. Mm-hmm. Um, just based on you put different people, it's always, you're always going to have some sort of friction. But I think it's also a positive. Yeah, so. no, I agree. Kyle, what are, your, what are your thoughts there? Well, my thoughts is that it's the, the, the biggest challenge is just understanding what it means. And I think people have different expectations and different different ideas of what that means to be, you know, culturally inclusive and diverse when it comes especially when it comes to construction sites. And so mm. you know, trying trying to find that common ground where everybody agrees to really to really what it's gonna mean for this project, for this site, because sometimes it's different. I mean, in an ideal world everybody has the same understanding, but we all come from different backgrounds. We have different project managers to answer to, different procedures in place, et cetera, et cetera. So to me, I think the biggest challenge is just understanding from another person's perspective of, you know, their background, maybe what that means. And, and I mean, and, and how do you bridge that gap? How do you, how do you get on the same page and, and have things go smoothly from there? Yeah, no, I agree a hundred percent with both of you. And like, th- that was my train of thought too, right? Is that, 
you know, if you have a whole team of people that always agrees on everything, most of them are irrelevant and you don't need, you don't like, I think there's a saying, if there's two people that do business together and they always agree, one of them is not required. So you need, you need that difference of opinion to really challenge because we all have our own biases, right? And you think the way I've done it for 20 years is the best way. Well, maybe it's not in this certain situation. Maybe it is most times, but to have somebody challenge you on that and, uh, you know, deal with that difference. And like Matt, you mentioned conflict, like that's a big part of construction. Every day we deal with conflict when there's an issue, especially when you're dealing with multiple different trades, you're going to have conflict, but it's how you resolve it. And that's where progress comes when you resolve conflict and fix problems. Mm -hmm. um, but the underlying point, and I think both you kind of touched on it, and what goes through my mind is people say, yeah, we're equal opportunity employer, or we see everybody the same. That's bullshit. That's not going to work because right. people are different. <laughs> and you, it starts with acknowledging those differences and working together to, you know, acknowledge the differences, know that we might have different thoughts because different backgrounds, different gender, whatever, but put that stuff aside, let's figure it out. But you have to, you know, it's a disservice to people if you don't acknowledge that there are differences in them and, you know, it's tough to make progress if you don't. So I mean, I just think we all agree there, but that goes against yeah. what I was saying. We're not yeah. supposed to agree. <laughs> no, I mean, I think it's, you can even take it a step further. I mean, every project is, by definition, basically a diverse project. And I mean, by trade, right? You have to have an electrician and a plumber and, a, and an HVAC guy and a drywall mm -hmm. guy and a painter and a, and all those guys come, or ladies come, you know, with their own motivations, their own mm -hmm. reason for being there. And those aren't always in, you know, always, granted, everyone's final uh, reason is to build a building or, yeah. you know, whatever you're doing, but they have different motivators. Oh, that's so just a great point. Across that in itself. I mean, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's a great point for sure. Uh, Syed has a question. Syed is one of those guys that I, I keep meaning to, to connect with on LinkedIn. He, he's putting out some, some good stuff on there and, and an awesome newsletter as well. Uh, he, earlier, you were talking about contracts being more owner-centric, and he, he agreed that they are. Um but contracting has been maximizing on risks. Uh, now we're seeing a break in the generational wisdom being passed on. How do we fill those cracks within our system? I think the people who are uh, retiring now or close to retirement are gonna make a boatload of money because they're gonna collect a pension and come back <laughs> as a consultant. And that's what I would be doing if I were them because we, we still need them. We still need their experience and their knowledge because how else can you, you know, Legal people are great and there's a place for them and, you know, reviewing contracts and mitigating risk. But until you've lived and breathed and been burned on a project, you don't, you might not understand the full magnitude of it. So I think the best way to fill those gaps is to, A, you know, while those people are still employed, spend as much time with them as possible and broaden their reach. Like if you've got a, like the job I was at, there was a, a general superintendent who, was split between four different projects. So he'd spend a day a week with us. And that whole day was spent walking around site being like, oh, the studs aren't up. You guys are fucked over there. And you know what I mean? Stuff like that. And it's stuff because, you know, you don't necessarily pick up on that. So you need to increase the time spent with them and broaden their reach so they can reach more of the company. And uh, look at retaining somebody as like a consultant, I guess. Like, because you can read all the books you want unless you've, the best way to learn is by screwing things up or, you know, making a mistake. And yeah. those are the guys and gals who have been around the longest and made the most mistakes. So you got to squeeze as much out of them as you can. And I worked for a company uh, previously and they had a guy on staff and I don't even know what his title was. I mean, he was, he was like the, the godfather of the local hall there. And I mean, he taught every class, not every class, but he was like so influential and the guy, you know, he'd been doing it for 50 years and he knew everything. And, he was on staff, and he was basically just a problem solver. Mm. You'd call him when you had a problem on your job site. He'd come out, and the same thing. He'd walk out there and be like, "Well, you got to do this and this and this." Or if you need to do, a, you know, if we're working on a flushing plan and having a problem, he'd come out and just be like, "Guys, just do that." Mm. And like it was just they kept him on staff. I think purely to tap into his wisdom. Yeah, and like, and he probably worked an hour a week, but that's you know that hour a week <laughs> came from fifty years of knowledge. So. He was there 40 hours at least, but yeah, yeah. I mean, he could probably dwindle it down to an hour. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, is there any other questions from the audience before we wrap this up? 
I appreciate everyone's participation. Uh, that was a lot of fun. And thanks, Angelo. Well, thank you guys. Yeah, it was a good yeah, conversation. Yeah, thanks, Angelo. It was awesome. We'll have to have you back on here in a few weeks, maybe, and, and uh, go through some more chapters in your book. I think we could definitely turn this into a, a four-hour podcast. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of information to cover, too. Yeah, like, and this is what I love, like, not to belabor. I think we have one minute left. But, uh, um, like, there's a whole world of construction that I think we need to talk more about and tap into, you know, to help the next generation of leaders, but to also, you know, shed some awareness on the rest of the world on, you know, the amazing stuff that we do. Because we're not just building buildings where, you know, you're shaping communities. When you mm -hmm. build a hospital, it's not just a structure. It's some place somebody goes to heal. Or if you build yeah. a church, it's some place somebody, you know, a group of people go to pray. It's like, this yeah. is a big deal. And it's everywhere around us. The, the house I'm sitting in, the roads you drive on, it's all part of the design and construction process. I'm geeking out now, Matt. Stop me, buddy. <laughs> we'll put a pin in that and come back to that one. Sounds good. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thanks a lot. It's a great Thank time. Thank you.